Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. In another life, I used to be an electrician up in Indiana, and we had chicken houses up there. And, I mean, chicken houses. You know what a chicken house is? Not just the, I mean, not this small thing. From here to across the street, big, long thing with thousands of chickens in. And I would wire up these, um, these feed systems. All, everything was all automated. But in these chicken houses, there were nasty places to work. They were hot and noisy, and these stupid chickens sounded just like you guys all just sounded just now. He <laughs> was like, all the time. But the thing about chickens is, if you clapped or you made any noise at all, it was just like totally silence, instant. Just instant silence. No, you're not. <laughs> but then... If you waited long enough, it was just really, really quiet. One of them would go, <laughs> and then pretty soon, pretty soon, it was a whole thing would be going again. But that's not what I came to talk to you about. Uh, the, the chicken houses of in Indiana. Okay. Um, putting a couple of songs together that we sang this morning. Uh, you, when you say, I surrender all, and you're realizing you're surrendering all to a good, good God, that's a, that's a pretty good thing. That's an, easy, that's an easy sell, right? Surrendering all to God. How many people in here would say that in the last five years, your life has changed from what it was five years ago? Come on, way up high. Okay. That's a lot. That's, that's awesome. Okay, how about the last two years? In the last two years? Still changing or just still changing? Okay, good. Still a good number. How about the last year? <laughs> All right, let's go to the last month. It's getting... It's, it's, kind of, it's the same thing. Yeah, but, but you know what? That's the awesome thing is, and the thing I like about this church is I see people... And I see that their lives have changed in front of my eyes in very visible ways that's just, there's no mistake and there's no fake about it. You can't fake that kind of change. God just does something when he, when he gets into your life. And uh, I, I just, I mean, that's, again, that's part of what, I, what uh, I appreciate so much about our church and it's not, this isn't a, you know, we're just the better, the only church in town, and you know, none of that stuff. But I'm here now, and I just, I've been in a lot of churches, and I haven't seen a lot of change. You could be in the church for 15 years, and you don't see any change in the person. But I do see it here, and it's just, it is an awesome, awesome thing. Uh, so I want to talk this morning, I'm going to kind of roll that into uh what I wanted to talk about this morning, a little bit later on, hopefully I'll get, I'll get to that place. Um, I want to talk about two lives, two tragic lives that's talked about in the Bible. You know, John, when he wrote his Gospels at the very end, he said, you know, I suppose if somebody were to write down everything that Jesus did, it would just fill more volumes than the earth could contain. And that seems like a pretty extreme statement. 
especially considering the fact that there were four guys who wrote it and they all wrote the same stories. You know, they should have just kind of switched up a little bit and given us some, uh, some different stories. But the amazing thing about that with John is, is in the stories that he wrote, in the accounts that he wrote about, there seems to be such gaps in information. There's so many things that... It, if when, when I spend time with Jesus, I, I'm going to just be asking him, okay, this story here, now when did this happen? What exactly did you say? And what did you say that he didn't include? Because I know you had to say something here for this, for this reaction. Does anybody ever read the scripture like that? That there's just like, what did this mean? Why did he do this based on this? There must be some other piece of information here. So I'm always kind of amazed... John has to be selective, and all the writers have to be selective about what they include in the gospel. And I'm also amazed at what, you know, the things that they don't include and the things that they do put in there. If they have to be so careful, why did they put this little detail in there? It means absolutely nothing, it seems like, on the surface. So I'm going to look at these, uh, I'm going to kind of compare and contrast a couple of different uh, stories that have to do with Jesus encountering somebody. Now, if Jesus came in, came in here, and we didn't know, we didn't have the Bible, and Jesus hadn't come the first time, and this was his first time here, and he came in, and he, he began, where, wherever Jesus went, he impacted people's lives. He just did. He just, I mean, it, just, he, it was what he was made of, and he, he, he you know, he healed people, he, he said that his ministry was to set the people free, to preach the good news, to, to, to heal the blind, and all of these things. He just went around doing that stuff all the time. And so logically, when this happens in a place where this is not normally something that happens, wouldn't you think you would wonder who this guy is? Wouldn't you think you would wonder, where did this power, this authority come from, this teaching who is this guy? In the first story I'm going to look at, there seems to be absolutely no curiosity on the part of the guy that, that Jesus heals. And that's in uh, the first story is in John chapter 5. I was tra- debating whether to read this to you. I don't like reading to people, but, um, but I will. I'll, <laughs> I'll read it to you because there's so much detail in there, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. And you, you can stick it up there. John chapter 5, beginning of the verse, first verse, says, these things, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches or porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, 
pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day, of course. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you've become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath but he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also calling, him, uh, uh, calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. Okay. Nice story. I mean, I, I, there's a, just a lot of stuff in this. I come away with these stories with more questions than I have answers. And so... Uh, I, I want to kind of just break this down and, and look at some things, then con contrast this with another story where there's a whole different kind of thing happening. Okay? So first of all, he, he comes to town. <clears throat> this is early in Jesus' ministry. He had been to Jerusalem before, and, and uh, this was, was soon after John's baptism. He came into Jerusalem, and he, ch he, he drove out the money changers, and then he went to Canaan, there was the, the wedding feast, and he turned the water into wine, and then he, he healed the nobleman's son, and he came back through um, uh, uh, Samaria and saw the woman at the well, and all that stuff happens. And then there's another feast, that was the feast of the Passover when he was in Jerusalem the first time. It doesn't say what the feast is this time, so we don't know, so I can't tell you. Well, it's not there because it's not important. I have an idea what it is, but I'm going to, I don't have time to develop that. I'm going to, leave, I'm going to leave that there. But there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus is here. The one thing we know about that any feast in Jerusalem, there are crowds of people, lots and lots of people. And uh, so, so Jesus comes walking in, and he comes by way of the Sheep Gate. Now, I just said that he just come from the, uh, not long before this, he had uh, had the baptism. And I wonder if every time he comes near the sheep gate, the sheep gate, you, real, you understand, that was the place where the, where the shepherds that were, were uh, raising the Passover lambs would bring the lambs in at the time of Passover. And that was, so that was that gate that they would come through. So Jesus coming through this must have remembered the thing that John said. Remember what John told him when he saw Jesus for the first time coming to be baptized? He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus walking in, you have to wonder what's going on in the mind of Jesus when he, when he walks through here and he knows at some point in his ministry he's going to be that Lamb that's going to come in and be sacrificed. So he walks in here and, he, and as he's going through this gate, he goes by this place where there's just multitudes of people, probably more than normal, because it's the feast day, there, the Bible says there's multitudes of people. I looked it up. It just means there's lots of people that, that are healed and crippled 
and land all around on these porches. And then we get this wacky story about an angel that comes down and stirs up the water every once in a while in the season, and whoever gets in first gets healed. Okay? So I, 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 actually, I don't normally, true confessions here, I don't normally look a lot of things up when I'm preparing to teach something. But I looked this one up because I want to think, what's, what are people saying about this? What's this? What are they saying? And I got things from people thought, well, this was, there, was a, there was some mineral water that bubbled up in some kind of a spring underneath there, and people were, were healed because of the mineral water. Well, that didn't make any sense to me because it said, you know, every once in a while it was stirred. Who's stirring the mineral water, you know? And, and why is it just a seasonal thing? And why does it say they were instantly healed? Actually, it doesn't say they were instantly healed. It says they became healed enough to know that they associated it with this water. That didn't make any sense. And then there's another one uh, that said, um, people just believed this. It just be, it was the, there was a sort of a, it was a myth, some mythology that, they, that the local people just believed. But why would they put it in there and say, matter-of-factly, Certain seasons, the water was stirred. So I don't know the answer to that one. So we're going to skip by. This is what's called skipping by, you know, <laughs> spending 10 minutes talking about something. But, but for, for, for whatever reason, all these people are sitting around here believing they're going to be healed if they're watching the water. Their eyes are focused on this water because if this thing's moving, I'm diving in, you know. And, and if it's not moving, it's... You know, you're just going to sit on the porch, you know. So, so this is what Jesus, this is the, see, the scene that Jesus walks by. And he sees all these people sitting around the pool watching the water, you know, waiting for it to, to move. The guy that can't actually heal them is walking in their midst and they're not seeing him. They're just looking at this water, uh, look, looking for the healing. By the way, the, the pool is, the, the pool was called... Bethesda. Does anybody know what that word means? Bethesda means Beth, like in uh, Bethlehem is, is Bethlehem, house of de, uh, bread. This is Bethesda. It is the house of mercy. So this place is called the house of mercy. This guy is sitting in the house of mercy. Jesus walks up and he sees all of these people, a multitude. So what does Jesus do? He walks up. He doesn't stand in front of them and say, a blanket healing over all of you. May you all be healed in the name of me. And, and you know, just blow on them or do whatever, you know, line them all up and make them all fall over. He doesn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> he just comes down and zeroes in on one guy, just one of all those guys. Why did Jesus zero in on this one guy? Yeah, why? That's <laughs> Thanks for repeating the question, Gladdy. <laughs> Does anybody have any idea? I used to teach a Bible study, and I used to ask this question all the time. Because it's always, it, it's, if you saw somebody doing what Jesus did, there would be the question you have in your mind. Why? Why did you do that? There's a real simple answer that applies to every time he did anything. There's a real simple answer. There's actually more than one answer in this case. 
But there's a simple blanket answer that that if you answered that question with that answer, you would get an A for the day every time. Does anybody know what that might be? Nope. You got it. <laughs> yeah. We won't. <laughs> I won't grade your paper yet. What? Yeah. <laughs> well. Just no, no. Come on, now you're stretching. Okay, what do you think? Yeah, he didn't ask for help. In fact, yeah, he didn't. In fact, when Jesus asked me if he wanted help, he evaded the question. What do you think, Phillips? Could be. That's the that's the kind of thinking that I do, Jeff. That may maybe kind of maybe sort of should be maybe if I was. <laughs> that's. But there's there's actually it's not a trick question, but it's kind of my questions always seem like trick questions because the answers are sometimes real obvious. The answer is he went to that guy because the father told him to go to that guy. And Jesus had said, I don't do anything unless I hear my Father tell me to do it. That's what I'm about. And so God tells him, go to that guy, okay? Which is, I mean, he came, he had a perfect opportunity to do a blanket thing here, you know, make himself well-known. This is just, just be, there's a lot of people here for the Passover, I mean, for the, whatever the feast is, which we don't know. A lot of people there. This would he, he needs a he needs a little free press here, right? He needs to, for people to know who he is, where he is, and all that stuff. He doesn't do it. He goes to this one guy, and so he comes up to him. And I'll tell you, there were a couple of other reasons why. We we know that Jesus did it because God said it. Then you can go a little further and say, well, okay, so why did God say it? You know, and God has His reasons, and sometimes those come out too. Let me give you an example of that real quick. Back, uh, actually it's forward from, from this point, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, okay, remember his sister, uh, Martha, comes to Jesus and says, hey, he's sick. Come on and, and, and heal him because I know you can. Okay? And Jesus agrees to go, but what does he do? Two days. He's sitting there for two days. He knows he's supposed to heal him. He's his friend. He loves him. He knows it's urgent. Martha wouldn't have, you know, trotted all that way to just to personally come and get him if it wasn't an urgent thing. So he says, yeah, I'm coming. Go on, I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> Wait, it's there two days. Why? There you go, Gladdy. A for the day. Because <laughs> God told him to. So why did God tell him to? You read on later, much later in the story, after Jesus, after he goes and, you know, tempted to go into that story more, but I won't just cut to the, to the chase at the very end of this thing. After he's healed, or after he's raised from the dead, it says after that, there was another feast. And people were coming to that feast, not only to see Jesus, but primarily to see Lazarus, to see this guy 
that actually came back from the dead, that the word of that miracle and the fact that he waited so long, uh, and it's, it, it mentions in the story that Jerusalem and Bethany, there's like a, it's like a, a, a two-hour journey to walk that far. Or is it two miles? I forget. But it's a short journey. It's a short trip. So lots of people from Jerusalem. Lazarus is a well-known, wealthy, important guy. So a lot of these guys are showing up and professional mourners and they just, and they all show up here. And, and when Martha says to Mary, Jesus, uh, go to Jesus, and Mary goes to everybody that's sitting around, they assume he's going to the tomb. So they all follow her and they're all doing their mourning thing. And then, and then just big crowds uh, are, are there. Well, so then that same crowd starts spreading the word around. And when the, when, and when the, the, the season, uh, the, the feast arrives, they're all coming and there's this big buzz about seeing Lazarus. So they want to see Lazarus and they want to see Jesus. And this, this story is going all over the place. And it actually literally says that that was the crowd that was saying Hosanna when Jesus came in on the donkey and putting the things there. God was doing something way back then. God had a reason for, letting, for having Jesus delay. Jesus knew this is not going to end in death, but God's going to be glorified. I don't know if that's all Jesus knew, if he knew anything else. All he knew was he's supposed to wait two days because it's in God's plan for Lazarus to die and come back to life because he's got a plan to fix it so his prophecy is fulfilled. So God always has a reason but Jesus, whether he knows it or not, he never tells us if he knows the reason. He's just doing it because he knows God has a reason. He just does whatever God tells him to do. And that's the only thing that moves him. And that's why he went to this guy. Okay, so he goes to him. Uh, let's see. So all these guys are lame, withered. Uh, sick. I'm trying to read where, I was at, where I'm at here. Um, let's see. Okay, I, I do want to point this one thing out. This is one of those pieces of information that you wonder why is there. It says the man had been there ill for 38 years. Okay, 38 years is a long time to be ill. And I don't know how long he'd been sitting at the pool waiting, but, if he, but, he, but he clearly couldn't be let into the, he couldn't get into the water by himself. So he must be crippled in some way, right? And if, you ha- if you're crippled for 38 years, what happens to your muscles and your bones? They atrophy. They just, they just yeah, there's just nothing there. It, and, and so um, I believe that's the condition this guy was in. He's just sitting there. And one of the things, it also mentions that uh, he has a pallet and um, that kind of sets them apart because not everybody there has a pallet, which is a bed. I remember when I was in South America years and years ago, um, there were a lot of people who wanted to shine your shoes. Anybody ever been to, to Ecuador or any place else? And it's, and it's, shining shoes seems to be a big deal. So it was a really big thing. They wanted to shine. You wanted to make sure you had shiny shoes, you know, when you're walking around. And I would wore tennis shoes most of the time. <laughs> shiny tennis shoes when I was in Ecuador. But <laughs> a friend of mine liked, 
he liked getting his shoes shined. It was just like he would sit there, you know, taking pictures like this while his shoes getting shined because he thought that was cool. I, it just depressed me. I thought this is, I was depressed that this is, the, all these poor guys can do is shine shoes. That's what their whole life is. The only thing that sets this little kid, this little 11 or 12-year-old kid who's coming up and say, say, two centaurus, shine shoes, shine shoes to the, to all the English he knew. And, and it's good because I didn't know any Spanish. So, so the only difference between that kid and the old guy who was 40, 50, maybe 60 years old, I don't know, who was still shining shoes for a living, was the guy who was the old guy actually had a little box and a seat. You could sit down and put your foot up on his box. He had, he had developed his business to the point where he had a couple of those things. And that's what set him apart. And to me, it's just, I was so sad, you know, when, when I saw the, you know, that, uh, that was their life. They were okay with it. They were happy with it. I'm just, I'm, I'm the, you know, first world guy trying to figure out third world thinking. And, and they were happier than I was, if you want to know the truth. You know, in everything that I had and everything going for me in my life, I was not a happy guy at that time. These guys would just smile and happy all the time. Another, that's not what we came to talk about either. Anyway, so this guy had a palate. That kind of set him apart from the other guys just sitting around on the porches. So, so those are a couple of things that, that stand out to me. So he'd been ill for 38 years. What does that mean? I, I believe that there's, when you see numbers in the Bible, they mean something. Most, almost every one of the details means something. And we just skim over them as, you know, unimportant, but I think they mean something. And I'll come back to this, what the 38 years is. I'll come back in a minute, but I do think it's, it's significant. Um, okay, so when he saw, uh, Jesus said, it says that Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been there a long time in that condition. He said to him, do you wish to get well? Okay, so here's these guys sitting on a pallet next to the water, waiting for somebody to, you know, put them in. Is that not kind of an obvious question? Do you wish to get well? I, uh, <laughs> when I thought of, when I read this and I was thinking about, I was trying to think, okay, obvious questions. You know, think of an example of, of things that were really obvious. I remember... <laughs> Amy and I went to, um, we're in Charleston one year, and I don't remember, what's the name of the towns that's like beyond Charleston, like Pat, past Patriots Point, some of you? Yeah, Mount Pleasant. It was some place, like, they got a beach there. It's like a, Isle of Palms. This is one of those. Yeah, Mount Pleasant is where Patriots Point, Isle, Isle, Isle of Palms. You people listening to the podcast, sorry, but, you <laughs> Isle of Palms, I think, was it. So we're sitting there. I'm there with with Amy, my wife, her sister, and my mom. And so so we're there looking at at stuff, and my mom's getting tired. She doesn't want to walk. Amy and my sister want to walk on the beach. So they walk up the beach, and Amy and I find, or my mom and I, find a log to sit on. We're waiting for them to walk up the beach. While we're there, sitting on this log, staring out at the water, there comes a container ship. 
And if you've ever seen a container ship bringing in, you know, all kinds of stuff that, that, that's, that's being imported, they're really big. At least this one was. I kind of looked it up to see. This is probably 1,200 feet long, okay? A long container ship. And they don't move very fast. I mean, you just they're just barely edging along. So we're sitting there, and this container ship is just moving by, and we we were there we're there for a long time before Amy and her sister come walking back <laughs> from the direction that the container ship is going. They come back to us and they see us sitting there. First thing is Sherry says, Amy's sister is, "Did you see that ship?" <laughs> I'm thinking, well, it's like it's like the it's, you ever, okay. We'll get it right there. Obvious questions. Those are the times when I have to restrain myself. <laughs> the, it's the hardest thing to do. But I said, I said, yeah, it was really big. <laughs> okay, so anyway, so Jesus says, you wish to get well. And you would think... Obvious answer, or obvious question, there should be an obvious answer. Yeah, I would, that would be nice if I, could, if I could be well. But he doesn't say that. He says, um, where I could find it, it says, uh, say, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. But while I'm coming, another one steps down before me. What's he doing? Instead of just focus, he's in the place of mercy, and here's the guy that can show him mercy. He doesn't know who he is. There's no idea. So, so he he starts complaining. He he says, you know, obviously no why, you know. I I kind of wonder if if he's if he takes the question as a criticism, saying, what are you still here for? Don't you want to get well? Why don't you just get in the water? And he's saying. No, I, I can't. I mean, I can't get there fast enough. So he starts griping and he starts going the uh, uh, the, the the injustice of it all. And, and his, his, I think what he's looking for, what he seems to look be looking for is pity. Jesus is there to give him mercy, but he's looking for pity. Mercy is something that fixes your problem. Pity is something that lasts forever. And, and sometimes people like to stay in the pity. And this guy was in the pity. Jesus wasn't going to be in the pity party because he answered him and says, hey, he didn't respond to anything he just said. He said, pick up your pallet and walk. Okay, so now here's a guy sitting there for maybe years. He's been sick for years. He's been sitting there for a long time. And a stranger comes up and says, hey, you want to be well? I can't. I mean, I can't. Blah, 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 blah. And the guy says, pick up your pallet and walk. What are you going to do? Do you believe this guy? Do you, I mean, are you going to say, are you kidding me? It's that simple. Do you see my legs? You wouldn't, you, you wouldn't respond by picking up your pallet and walking unless something happened unless something changed, right? If you're just going to stay in that same condition, you're not going to respond to that. But Jesus didn't say it nicely. Well, why don't you just pick up your power and walk? 
you know, <laughs> it was a command. He said, pick up your pallet and walk. And because of the command that came out of Jesus' mouth, um, it says, let's see, where does it say it? It says, immediately the man became well. When did Jesus say be, be well? When did Jesus say be healed? He said, pick up your pallet and walk. And because Jesus commanded him and he was going to obey the command of Jesus, his body automatically fell in line with the command that Jesus had for his life. So his body, his body became instantly healed. The guy's going to know it. Do you, think he, do you think you can be sick for 38 years and not know that you're instantly healed of this kind of thing? He knew it. He stood up. He picked up his pallet and he started walking. Okay? Jesus is saying, that thing you're sitting on is not the thing that's going to determine who you are and where you are. It doesn't move you around. You pick it up and you walk. Okay? That was a change. Something changed. He's okay. Picked up his pallet, starts walking. Still, as far as I can tell, wasn't even curious about who Jesus was. Didn't say, who are you? What's up? You know, this is cool. Just starts walking around. Walks past a bunch of, of, the, of the Jewish leaders and they say, hey. And that, here's one of the reasons why I think that it says, when it says that Jesus knew he had been there for a long time, why God wanted him to pick that guy was because the Jewish people that lived around there also knew him. They knew he had a pallet. He knew this guy. He knew who he was. They knew the condition of his legs. They could see he was obviously healed. Something had happened. Something was changed. But what did the Jewish leaders focus on? Yeah, the Sabbath. He said, hey, I'm not supposed to be walking around with that thing on the Sabbath. Jesus was already immediately in his in early in his ministry what god was doing with jesus saying pick this guy he wanted to expose something reveal something in the hearts of the jewish leaders that they that they were looking at things totally wrong they weren't looking for a redeemer they were looking for the letter of the law and they were going to make sure everybody just obeyed that letter of the law okay <clears throat> so they said who who said that where he said the guy that made me well said, pick up the pallet and walk. So I did. He didn't say, so I did. I added that. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? And he said, and the one who seals says, I, I don't know who it was. But Jesus had slipped away. So afterward, Jesus finds him in the temple and says, behold, you become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may happen. Okay, here's another one he thinks. What? What, what sin? Is he talking about 38 years ago he fell into sin and he became crippled because of that sin? I don't think so. I think Jesus was identifying something right then, at that moment, this man was involved with, that Jesus is warning him, don't, you need to stop this. You've got to stop this now. Because Jesus wasn't a forgetful guy. He wasn't a, you know, if, if there was sin involved, at the time that he first confronted somebody, he would say, your sins are, you know, uh, uh, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more, or you're healed, go and sin no more, take care of the sin. The woman at the well, he was talking with her about all this stuff. He confronts them. He talks about them at the moment. He doesn't come back later and say, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention back then the, the sin thing. That's, 
you need to take care of that sin thing. I don't think that's what was going on. The guy held on to the pallet. He still had the pallet. He moved over to the temple, stuck his pallet down, and sat down on it. And he starts thinking. You know, there's there. Are, I've heard. I don't know if I've heard stories or seen movies or somewhere. Somewhere in my mind, I have this. I have this image of, of people who have been in prison for a long time, and they look for the day when they can be out of prison. And the day finally comes. They're turned loose. They're given a suit and five dollars or whatever they do to people that come out of prisons. And he walks out of the prison thinking, "Free at last." But he doesn't know what to do with himself. All those old friends that he thought he had, if they're still alive, they're long gone. If they don't know him, they don't want anything to do with him. Family members, it's all different. The world has changed. How does he go to work? What does he know how to do? How does he get to live in this world? And he ends up going back to prison where someone will take care of him. Because as bad as prison life is, it's the life he knows. It's the life he knows how to live. And this, it, this is, I think, what was happening with this guy. He was healed. But he doesn't know how to live. He'd been affected for 38 years. How is he going to make a living? What's he going to do? He's got it okay. He sits there and people give him money. They have pity on him. And he knows how to receive pity. He just doesn't know how to receive mercy. And he doesn't know how <clears throat> to go forward. So he sits down in the temple crowded with people. It's a feast going on. He sits down at a good place where there's lots of people coming by and Jesus walks up and he sees him begging. Because he didn't want to let go of the old life. Because it's all he knew. He didn't think he could. Jesus healed him. He fixed it for him, but he didn't understand it because he didn't know Jesus. Because he didn't know Jesus, he didn't know who he could become. Okay, so that's that story. Let me go back to the 38-year the thing. The 38-year, this, uh, this is kind of how my mind works. It may seem like a stretch to you. There's only one other place in the Bible that the, word, that the number 38 years is used. And now I'll just read it. It's Deuteronomy 2. I'll read it to you. It says, now at that time... Excuse me. Now the time that it took for us to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the brook Zered was 38 years until all the generation of men of war perished from within the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. This associates this guy in this story with the generation of Israelites who died in the wilderness, who had the promised land in front of them who wandered for 38 years and couldn't cross the line into the promised land. Why couldn't they cross it? Because they didn't trust God. After everything he'd shown them, they couldn't bring themselves to trust him. They couldn't bring themselves to obey him. They didn't know who God was. They were Jews. They were in covenant with him. They'd heard the voice of God on the mountain. They knew all this stuff. But when it came down to it and they saw the giants, they said, Mm-mm. we're like grasshoppers. That's what they thought, thought of themselves. <clears throat> and that's what this guy is associated with, with that generation. Okay, I'm saying that, I'm pointing that out because I want to look at the other story. <clears throat> Excuse me just a second. 
The other story is in uh, Mark chapter 10. It's another real familiar story. This one actually might be more familiar. This is, I think, uh, I, I never went to Sunday school when I was a kid, but I think this is one of those stories that actually gets in the coloring books of the Sunday school things. This is beginning at verse 46. It says, They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a large crowd, and a large crowd, uh, he was leaving with the disciples and a large, a large crowd. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that, that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up, he's calling you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began to follow him on the road. Okay. Another encounter with Jesus. A, a blind guy. Does anything stand out in that story? As, as to one of those, Why is this in here? lines. Anybody? Who said it? Dylan. A for the day. <laughs> That's the cloak. Why did he mention he threw this cloak off? I think based on the first story, you have an, an idea of what that's about. But to begin with, when it, says, when it talks about Jericho, it says they came to Jericho. What is Jericho? Why did they mention Jericho? They mentioned it twice. What is there about Jericho? <laughs> that, ain't, that ain't cutting it, Bob. <laughs> exactly. This, this story here, this guy's going to be associated with that younger generation who saw the giants who actually didn't hear the voice of God necessarily on the, on the, depending on how old they were at the time that, uh, that uh, they were at the mountain. But they had the covenant. They had everything the same as this other guy. The only difference was these guys knew there were giants, but they knew who God was. And they trusted him and they obeyed him. And they crossed that line and they came into that place of promise because they didn't want to stay back in the, in the other place. That's, that's what sets this guy apart. So now looking at that, so we see, um, so he's leaving, let me see, um, Jericho, and he, he finds this guy, and it says, the, the, the word says, there was a, a beggar named Bartimaeus, and we always, you know, we always call him blind Bartimaeus, but his, his name isn't Bartimaeus, you, know, you understand that, right? His name, we don't know. We don't know who he was. Bartimaeus just means, and it says it right here, the son of Timaeus. So there's this blind guy who is the son of Timaeus, and he's sitting by the side of the road begging. So the fact that we know who Timaeus is, we don't know who his son is, but we know he's his son, tells us something about Timaeus isn't even there. Nobody interviewed him and said, uh, can you tell us your father's name? They just knew him. They knew this family. It tells me Timaeus was an important guy. 
probably, again, a wealthy guy. He's named. He was probably a wealthy guy. So why is this guy begging by the side of the road and not sitting in his father's house? He's wealthy, in my opinion, just, just from this. <clears throat> so, so there must have been, you know, you can start thinking about, you know, scenarios where how many people know of somebody who have family issues where there are things that where people disagree <laughs> that you just know somebody and say you I'm saying that you know somebody and sometimes those things can just turn sour really bad and, and that's probably what was going on here so now this guy is blind and and his father hasn't I mean I don't say that his father blinded him but his father he stopped taking care of him he's not in his father's house anymore and he's doing what he can do He's begging by the side of the road. So Jesus comes to him. He doesn't approach him. He walks by. And the blind guy, he hears this crowd that's just shuffling by him on the side of the road. He says, what's going on? What is this? And somebody says, that's Jesus, the Nazarene. He's walking on by. There's a crowd following him. As soon as he hears this, what does he scream? What does he yell out? Son of David, have mercy. Not pity. I'm not looking for your pity. Have mercy on me. Change my life. So, so from the very beginning, we see a difference between these, these two guys. Now he knows who Jesus is. And now he knows Jesus is going to be his answer. Okay? So he's, cry, he's crying out. And what are the crowds doing? Crowds are saying, shh. Quiet. This is Jesus preaching. You know, he's teaching us, so don't interrupt him. Well, what does Jesus likely preach? What did Jesus teach? Jesus taught mercy, deliverance, healing, faith. Here was going to be a, de- a, a demonstration of all the things that Jesus taught. And they're saying, shh, no. No, be quiet. You know, just stop bothering Jesus. But Jesus... He kept. He wasn't hindered. He kept all the more calling out, "Son of David, have mercy on me." And Jesus stopped. And this time he was stopped. I think his father told him to stop because I, to be consistent with everything I always say. <laughs> but there was a reason he he stopped because this man's persistent and calling out to him, and he recognized something of faith in this in this man. So, but he doesn't go to him. He says, call that man and tell him to come to me. A blind guy sitting by the road. And now the, the crowd, now they've suddenly switched. They've changed. They say, take courage, man. He's calling you. <laughs> what are you sitting there for? That's crowds. <laughs> so so um, he comes. And Jesus answered him and says, what do you want me to do for you? Same basic question, different answer. blind man said, Rabboni, not sir. The other guy said, sir. He had no idea. He was a teacher. He had no idea. This guy knows who Jesus is. He said, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. There's no complaining. There's no blaming anybody. There's no saying, I'm by the side of the road here because, you know, you don't know my story. You should hear all this stuff. So he says, your faith has made you well. Oh, and by the way, I forgot the main, the main thing that, that Dylan was showing. I, I skipped right past that thing. 
when, uh, when they said, take courage, he's calling you, it says he threw aside his cloak, jumped up, and came to Jesus. So, what's the cloak? That's what I identify him. How did I identify him? How did people know this was the son of Timaeus? They might have recognized him. They might have just known him. Maybe there was something in that coat. Maybe they knew that Timaeus had given him that coat. Maybe they'd identified him with his family. But it certainly identified him as a beggar. It identified his social status. He was this poor dude sitting by the side of the road. That's who he was. And he yanked that thing off of him so quick. He said, this is not me. No more. Not anymore. Because the son of Timaeus is going to meet the son of David. I'm meeting the son of David and nothing's going to be the same in my life ever again. He recognized that. That's what, I, I love it when people see this and it changes. He throws this thing off. That, that son of David mentioned. We think about David. David was the guy, remember, that, that came into covenant with Jonathan? And what did they do? The first thing that they did when they came into covenant? Exchanged their robes. David took his robe off, that smelly old shepherd's robe, and he exchanged it. He gave it and, and he took on the prince's robe. And that exchange, that covenant, put him in line for the kingdom to be king of Israel. Before, it wasn't legally possible. I mean, he, I mean, you know, God had set up the kingdom under Saul. His son was Jonathan. That was the line. Now David is now in line because he came in covenant with his son. And don't think that that, that little piece of information was lost on Saul. Drove Saul crazy. When he saw David walking around with Jonathan's coat, he was enraged. And he... And he he was fearful for the kingdom that was going to be taken from his son. Well, that's what's happened to us. And, 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 and blind Bartimaeus threw off his coat said, this is not me anymore. Now I'm putting on something else. The Bible says New Testament. If you want a New Testament version of this, he says, we've got we to gotta put off our old self and put on Jesus. we got an old nasty coat that dis- defines who we are. It doesn't define who we really are. It defines what the world has made us. And sometimes that's not a bad thing. Sometimes it's not horrible, but sometimes it leads us to to, to just terrible lives and terrible decisions and a terrible direction. And we we throw that thing off and we put on Jesus and we are never again, never again, because I'm in covenant with the King of Kings. I'm seated at at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm a new person, a new creation. Everything changes. That's the story of these, uh, that's, the, that's the point of these two things. It says when, he says, go, your faith has made you well. What happened when, when this other guy was healed? What did he do? He went wandering around, carrying his pallet, you know. Didn't even know where Jesus was, didn't know who Jesus was. This guy, Jesus tells him to go. He says, go, your faith has made you well. Did he go? No. He followed him. He turned around and said, I ain't going. I'm following you, man. You're my new life. Yeah. So, so we, we see here two, this is what I call this uh, message, the tale of two tragedies. 
and two totally different endings. Well, we don't know the ending of the first one. Jesus actually went back to him and says, stop sinning. I think the sinning was, a rec- was failing to recognize who he was and going back to his old life. <clears throat> so the, these, what, made the, um, what made the difference in these two stories is the issue of, and I think somebody said it, uh, identity. Somebody years, a couple of years ago told me that, uh, probably more than that, this is that identity church that we teach an identity message. Does everybody know what I'm talking about when I say that? Okay. <laughs> I didn't know what that was. The, this person told me that, that I teach, that the things I teach is identity. I teach identity. Well, I didn't know. I mean, I thought I was teaching covenant, you know. Identity is just like, that's another, it's like one of these labels you put on things so we can know at what point exactly we disagree with everybody else. But, <laughs> but it's, it's just covenant. It's old and new covenant. It's who we are. We become new crea- creations, new creatures. And in God's kingdom, um, he, you know, we become a new creation. And in his kingdom, there is a covenant thing that it's a there's a legal contract a legal a legal binding thing that recognizes the change of who we are it recognizes that we're in covenant with him that we are seated with him in heavenly places we are in him because we have this covenant okay so we have the change in our person and then to to sort of seal the deal we have the covenant that legally states this new person that we are okay you got that now, um, let's see how much time we got here. You got? Do we have time to look at like four minutes of video? Okay, okay. Timo, cue me up, baby. <laughs> I said Timo. I meant I meant Mutti, but Timo's easier to say than Mutti. So. <laughs> okay. Now watch, just watch this video. You probably have seen this before. This is brought to my attention a couple, a, a week or so ago. And uh, I'll, I'll continue when this is done. There's been a lot of talk about identity lately. But how far does it go? And is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, (laughs) yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, why? (laughs) Really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. (laughs) I would maybe think you had 
some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now. If that's where you feel, like, mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six foot five. If you truly believed you're six five, I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong. Like, that's wrong to believe in it. Because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you are six foot five, or Chinese, or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a five nine white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman, but clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult? Okay, when I first saw that, I was laughing, like you guys are laughing. And I was laughing until I talked to um, <clears throat> my 14-year-old uh, grandson and about some conversations he's having in school. And it's, it's really sad. It is a sad thing. We don't have any idea who we are any more than that. For us in here to know who we are in Christ... We don't understand how amazing that is to just know who we are. When I was in school, um, there were there's always categories of people that you, you sort of fit into, and they kind of change, you know, with time. When I was in school, I'm try, trying to think. Okay, you had the socias, which I wasn't. <laughs> you had the jocks, which I wasn't. You had, what were the other ones? The nerds, which I didn't think I was. <laughs> uh, you had the, the hoods, which I wasn't. Kinda, I kind of, 
I got along with the hoods better than the other guys, but I didn't really think I fit into any of those. But she had to, it was like that was those things. Did, is that the way it is now? Anybody who remembers their... Somebody told me that they had, they, they, they sort of had the same kind of classes, but they had different words. Like there, there was one of them called the dirties. I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> that's really a class of people. I want to be in that club, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dirties. So, but that's, you know, it. when I was in school, that, those were the little pigeonholes that everybody tried to figure out who you're, what your identity is and who you identify most with, what your activities are, what you spend your time doing, who do you like, you know, all of these things. That's That was it. Now it's like, we don't even, if I say I'm a six foot five Chinese woman and they say, well, we don't have a group for that, but <laughs> but good for you, you know. It's so sad. It's so sad. Our progressive culture, that word progressive, and I don't want to get all political, I really don't, but, but the word progressive means we're going somewhere. We're going ahead. We're, we're, you know, we're just moving from there. This is old, this is new. We're going and, and going better. We've got to keep moving forward. The Bible says... God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God defined immediately in the first of Genesis, Genesis what marriage is, who people are. He, he defined gender, male and female. He says all these things. We've gotten to the point where progressiveness is not just ideas, political ideas, or how to, or how to you know, do, do the economy better. It's, it's gotten... When you run out of ideas that makes some sense on some level, you just keep leaping forward into things that just make less and less and less sense. But you're, if you're a good man and a good, or a good woman or child of the culture, you just agree with it. Hey, good for you. It's all good. It's so damaging to me. I, I felt so sorry, so sad talking to my son in the world that he lives in and the world where everyone is so confused. And so, the, the, the satanic counterfeit, I mean, I told you how God is. He, he gives you a new life, and then he gives, you, he gives us a covenant that says, that legally binds us and says, we recognize this is who you are. In the, in, and we're, what we're seeing here is, is uh, Satan's counterfeit. This is, we're anything we declare ourselves to be. Whatever we want to say that I am, that's what I am. And you can't say I'm not. And now we have a, our legal system is, is, is now recognizing it, supporting it, and will be enforcing it, saying you cannot go against whatever anybody says. This is not, Satan doesn't really care whether somebody says he's male or female or, or this or that, except to the point that this goes against what God's desire of his creation was for. And he's been working feverishly to change this. And, and all of the changes that he made, has made up till now, they've been resisted lightly for, for generations. And now it's like you just sort of go along, well, that's okay, yeah, that's okay, it's okay. And it's, it's like, this is where we're at. This is where we're at in this culture. If you would have shown this video 10 years ago in any church, 
or any group of people, what would the reaction have been? I, I, that years, a uh, couple of years ago, when, when did the Bruce Jenner thing? And I, I know this is probably real uncomfortable for me to go here and talk about this, but it's just kind of on my heart when I th- when I was studying this. I I was actually going to end it with this identity, but then there's so much going on right now that's just that that there's confusion going on. But a few years ago, when Bruce Jenner was was Talk, I, I, there was a there was a show, there was a program. I didn't see it that was talking about what he was intending to do and 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 make the changes, and and I didn't think anything of it. I thought other than just that's bizarre, it's weird, poor guy, you know. But then I was sitting again around the, the kitchen table. I was up in Indiana with some of my nieces and nephews, and the high school kids and the grade school kids talking about this issue were saying, "I oh, I think it's great." I think it's great. It's just sad. It saddens me to to think that this is where we're going. This is the 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 culture that our kids are growing up in. Such confusion. We've got, you know, when Jesus walked into that place, and and we try to figure out why he chose this one and not this one. Everywhere that Jesus went, there were multitudes of people, whether they looked crippled on the outside or not. They're crippled on the inside. And we've got to understand that. We've got to get to that point. We've got to, we've got, we need to start praying for the younger kids still in school, grade school, college age, whatever. They're, they're immersed in this culture that's trying to tell them, your identity is anything you want it to be. And it's, and it's, a, it's a path that leads to a really bad place. We need to get them to help them to understand they need to know who the son of David is. They need to throw off and cast off that old cloak and know who they are in Christ and know that when that happens, how many people, I, I, I asked earlier, how many people's lives changed from you know five years, two years, a year, an hour ago, whatever. How many people, those changes have been liberating and set you free and you're happier now than you were back then? This is, this is part of the message it's not. It's part of the gospel message of who you are. You've got it. You, we have to start reaching these people because, trust me, I'm. I've become aware of it. the culture that's out there for young people now, is leading them to a really bad place.